Hey, y'all. It's your fam, Black Fluid Poet, a.k.a. John S. Blake, coming to you live from my humble abode of books. In this pandemic paradise, where quarantine, shit, though non-existent, wasn't cute, y'all. That shit wasn't cute. And I got to think of a new way to start this podcast because, I mean, it's almost over. Like, it's almost over. The whole COVID thing, I really feel like we're on the back end of it. And I hope I didn't just jinx myself. (laughs) I really hope I didn't just fuck it up at everybody by saying that. Um, You know, I'm, I'm, you know... If there's an Omega variant, I, man, I'm not ready. <laughs> I'm just saying. But um, I want to tell you, you know, I, we all have our perceptions of what famous people must be like, you know. It must be like this to live that way or it must feel like this. Um, and I've met, I've met a few, I've met a few famous people and I don't know what they were like before fame. I I can tell you that. But for the most part, I haven't been disappointed. There is one R&B singer who I just felt was a little full of herself. But you know what? She earned it. She earned it. She worked hard. She's very successful. A lot of people love her work. And um, damn it, she has a right to feel good about herself and to be up on her own shit, you know? So I I didn't hold it against her for too long. But at the time, I couldn't even watch a movie or hear a song with her in it. And, and that's all I'm going to say. I'm, I'm not going to put any names out there. I had a crush on her until she, like, totally waved me off when I met her. And uh, it hurt. But I will tell you about some truly, truly awesome people I met. I met most deaf outside of... um, What was that? Um, I can't believe I can't remember the name of it. Um, deaf poetry, it was a deaf poetry filming and I met him outside. He was hosting it, of course. And, uh, I swear to God, I'm standing in front of this, uh, bodega, right? In Manhattan. And out of nowhere, some dude goes, Hey, uh, you got a cigarette you can spare? And I looked over and it's fucking most deaf. I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Most fuck yeah, dude here. And I gave him a cigarette. He's like, oh, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that, bro. I appreciate that. And I gave him a pound. And we did that little half hug. And I was like, I, I ain't gonna, look, I ain't going to lie. This is between you and me. Don't tell nobody I said this. But I actually sniffed when we got close. I was like, <laughs> had to. It's most deaf. I had to see what successful hip hop smelled like. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was so real. And he's so brilliant and prolific and just like. And so little. He is so, oh my God, he's so little. But like, the ironic thing is he's fuck. he's a millionaire. <laughs> he had to ask me for a cigarette. I was like, this motherfucker right here. But um, yeah, so I met most deaf and that was an amazing experience. And um, we had like a quick conversation and I could tell he was like kind of, you know, he had to get back to the taping. So he was like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And he, and he kind of walked away. Um. And I said, you know, I know you're famous. I'm not going to hold you. Just thank you for all you've done for my life. And he was like, oh, man, thank you. Thank you. And he walked away. And uh, I don't know if it ever really set in with him. I know when I was a touring poet and there were people who were like, oh, my God, your poem just like saved my life. And I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you. 
And it would take like a couple of hours because I was like bombarded with people after a show or something. But then I would go home and I'm like, yo, did that motherfucker say a poem saved my, one of my poems saved his life? Yo, that's, I mean, nah, I got, nah. Wow, he really said that though. And it would take me days. And I do mean days, sometimes weeks, months, years. Where I would reflect on it and be like, I remember this one person said, one of my poems saved their life. And people would go, well, yeah, have you heard your poetry? I'm like, no, dude, come on. We're talking about someone drowning in life. And, you know, my poem was a life preserver that got them through to breathe another day. Like, that's, come on, that's a little extreme until I remember that a poem saved my life. But it's one of my poems. You know what I mean? Like, my poems, I, you know, it's an imposter syndrome thing. I admit it. But still, still. The music of most death played a big role in keeping me alive. And so like meeting him was just like, and I'm sure I'm not the first person. I'm not even one of the first million people to say some shit like that to him. But I got to tell him. And on my deathbed, I will remember the fact that I got to tell most death that his music kept me alive. Mm -mm -mm. Oh, that man. He's amazing. So anyway, famous people. Uh, met Saul Williams. Saul Williams was incredible. Let me tell you something incredible about Saul Williams. Saul Williams, I met Saul Williams at the Hugh Mann Bookstore in Harlem, New York City. And I purposely kept going. Whenever someone got behind me, I went right back to the back of the line because I wanted to ask him a question. And I didn't want to hold up the line. So I volunteered to stay there for hours just so I could ask Saul Williams a question. And he had a performance that night at NYU right after the signing. So he had to go. So I walked with him outside so he could finish his answer. And I said to Saul Williams, are you ever afraid that you're going too deep in your poetry that people don't understand what you're talking about? And without missing a beat, Saul Williams says, no, and I'll tell you why. Because although we would like to believe that we're all drinking from separate wells, if we dig deep enough, we're sharing the same water source. Chow. Chow. There wasn't enough weed in the world to let that truth sink in. I was talking about that shit for weeks. For weeks. Although we would like to believe that we all drink from separate wells. If we dig deep enough, we're all sharing the same water source. And, you know, I told him my name and, you know, I told him like I'm a poet and I, I've been slamming for like six to nine months or something like that. And I won my first slam the other day and it was incredible. And I know that's how, you know, you made a name for yourself and blah, blah, blah. And I just, and I have to ask you this question and I asked him the question, you know. And... That was an amazing, amazing experience that Saul Williams took the time. I mean, he had a manager and an agent who were trying to rush him away from me to get in a car to get to NYU. And he literally put his hand up and was like, one second, I'll be right there. And they were pissed. 
And he was like, I don't give a fuck. And I didn't ask him nothing else. I wasn't talking. I wasn't saying nothing. He was finishing his answer. And he was like, not nah, a motherfucker got a question. I'm going to answer his question. And I'm going to make sure I answer it the way it needs to be fucking answered. And I was like blown away. I felt guilty keeping him from his show. And he was like, don't worry about them. It's all right. You know, he didn't say that, but it was like his attitude of like, no, nah, let me, you know, we're talking right now. This is, this is our moment. Um, and I'm going to get back to Saul Williams later. Um, cause something about what I'm going to talk to you about has everything to do with that. I met, uh, the famous Palestinian poet, um, Suher Hamad. And, um, she told me how beautiful my poetry was. And I broke into tears. There is something about, first off, her brilliance. Second, her radiance. She just lights up a room. Um, her morals, her, 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 her moral center in her poetry, in her presence is undeniable. And if we're being real, she is just physically alluring. Like she's just... I, beautiful. There's not a word like not beautiful, not pulchritude, not alluring. I mean, like she's just, I don't know, it, heaven, like heaven, like the combination of her brilliance and her, her, her spiritual fortitude and, and her creativity, her poetry is just, just blown away. Her, her level of compassion and, and humanity um, and and re- and resistance to the state and her fight for justice and her activism and then on top of that she's just this just this sight of absolute pulchritude you know and this person this individual who I admired in every aspect says your poetry is just beautiful like. I, at that time of my life, you could have cut my throat and I would have thanked you for ending this presence, this existence on a good goddamn note because Suhair Hamad just told me that my poetry was beautiful. And child, let's be real for a second. It wasn't all that beautiful. I had been doing poetry a little over a year at that point. Um, It was good, but it was not Suher Hamad. It was not Saul Williams. It was not all these other poets that I had met. Okay. But shout out to Suher Hamad. I, I still, you're a goddess. Um, there is one person who, for me, is what I believe, from what I know of this person, what I believe... Uh, a heterosexual black man needs to be take notes on these his humility his friendly disposition um his ability to keep his word um to follow through and to show the same respect to a kid from the projects as he would the director of the next big movie that's given him a fat check. Malcolm Jamal Warner. 
one of the best people I have ever met in my entire life. And let me tell you, I was maybe, I don't know. I, I, I can't even tell. I, 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 I was maybe a year off of heroin at that time. And I still hadn't gotten completely clean. I was still drinking myself to death. I was still, you know, doing some other drugs. I'm not going to go into great details. But I stopped shooting heroin. And I stopped trying to blatantly, directly kill myself. Because I had attempted suicide a couple times. I tried to overdose once. um, Or twice or three times. I don't even remember. But um, I was clean almost about a year from heroin. And this was... After I met Saul Williams, before I met Suhair Hamad, and um, I was uh, at a slam. I was participating in a slam and every every week, regular slam um, at the New York Poets Cafe on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, uh, where I I spent my childhood there. Um, But here I was in my 30s, back on the Lower East Side, and I'm performing. And the New York Poets Cafe, if you are ever in New York City and you have never been, this place is a rite of passage, all right, for any cultured New Yorker, any tourist that wants to find New York City culture, this is where it's at. This place was the crossroads between hip-hop and academia. It was an all-are-welcome type space. And the truth was told. I, I mean, it's like the mecca of poetry. You hear me? Like the mecca of poetry. You can't be a poet until you've done a hodge to the New York Poets Cafe. I don't care if it's just to stand in front and take a picture. You're going to have to see that, please. Okay. So I'm there one night, full capacity, it's two floors, um, where there's a balcony where people can see you perform from the balcony. The stage is the size of an average uh, teacher desk. That's about the size of the stage. I kid you not. It's about three feet from the wall towards the audience and about maybe five or six feet wide. There's not enough room for four people to stand on it. That's how big this fucking stage was. It was small. It was tiny. Now, the capacity to this place, I believe, was somewhere between four and 600 people. That was full capacity. And this place got full so fast that by the time the show started, or even 20 minutes before the show started, you had to wait for somebody to leave before you could get in. The people would line up around the block to get in this place. And I can remember in the winters, man, being out there, the wind was blowing, fucking 20 degrees. I'm out there in a hoodie and a denim vest, you know, reading my poem, trying to get it memorized before the show, you know, just doing that whole thing. And I get inside and it's warm and the, and the music's playing and, uh, you know, it, it, I just feel home when I get in there, you know, um, and and it's it's another night of, of performing in there and and you know seeing seeing all my peeps my friends my fellow poets whatever, and uh, I do this poem about my oldest brother Benny about him 
freezing to death in the cold and, and him having AIDS and having nowhere to go. And after I did this poem, the, the, I took the air out of the room, right? Everybody's just like, can't breathe. People are barely clapping, man. Like it just hit that hard. And you, you just heard a lot of people going, oh, ooh, you know. And there's a lot of call and response in there. And I fucking love that place. This guy out of nowhere, and, and it's dim. The, the only light in that room is the spotlight on the stage. That's it. Everything else is out. It is dark. And out of nowhere, this fucking guy is big. I mean, big muscle and like just a guy, you know, and he comes up to me and just wraps his arms around me and hugs me. And he's got tears in his eyes. And I look up, Theo, Malcolm Jamal Warner is hugging me. And he said, yo, that fucking poem was amazing. When I get back to Cali, I'm telling everybody about you. And I was like, yo, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Okay, so I'm high on that shit, right? I'm high on it. We go to the bar afterwards, I'm drinking. I'm drinking because Malcolm Jamal Warner just said he going back to Cali. And he's telling everybody about me. What, son? You can't say nothing, son. And then, like, you know, of course, there's always the hater that has to burst your bubble. Like, you know that motherfucker forgot about you the moment he left, right? And I was like, I mean, you know, still, can I have my moment, though? Can I have my moment? And they were like, yeah, no, this is your moment. This is your moment. And um, it just felt so good. And months go by. Months go by. And... I get uh, a phone call from, now I had never been outside of uh, the Northeast, right? With, I think, the exception of going to Fort Benning, Georgia for um, basic training. And I don't know. I mean, I think that was the only time I had really been on a plane was when I went to Fort Benning, Georgia. Um, I'd take the plane to Atlanta and then we had to take a bus to Fort Benning. But um, anyway, I digress. I get this call from a woman um, in Fresno, California. And she said that her friend Malcolm told her all about me. And she was wondering if I'd be willing to participate in this poetry slam they had out there. And I was like, your friend Malcolm? She's like, yeah, you know, Malcolm Jamal Warner. I'm like, he really did? He told y'all? And so, like, I, I was, like, dumbfounded, right? So I'm not going to go into the whole coincidence story because I, I know it's an, an older uh, podcast about all the strange coincidences that happened from that moment, right? So anyway, um, I don't remember... If Malcolm had given me his phone number that night or if I gave him mine, I didn't, I didn't even think I had one at that time. I'm sure somehow I ended up with his number. I think it was because, oh, I know what happened. So I go out to Fresno. I, I managed to do this slam. I, I don't win, but I end up with money anyway. And then while I'm out there, people are asking me to do features all over California. I got features in LA. I got features in uh, the Bay Area and... I know I'm up in 
uh, fucking Berkeley for the first time in my life. I'm in San Jose for the first time in my life. I'm in San Francisco for the first time in my life. Santa Cruz. I go to Los Angeles. I go to San Diego. But I go to LA. And um, I'm going to perform at this one place. And Malcolm Jamal Warner is there. And I'm like, yo, what up? And he was like, yo, come here, man. And give me another hug. And he was like, yo, I've been telling everybody about you. And I was like, you really have. He was like, well, I told you I was gonna. And I was like, motherfucker, a lot of people say shit. How many people come up to you, you know, like, yo, man, we should collab on something. And he's like, no, no, I feel you. I feel you. You're right. You're right. Um, but I did. I, I I told as many people as I could about you, man. Your your work is just, just awesome. And um, he fucking remembered me, yo. Like, he remembered me. And that right there, he remembered me. He remembered my name. He came up to me. I didn't have to go up to him. He saw me and was like, yo! And he was, I think, I think, just as excited to see me as I was to see him. That was not a performance. Like, he was there talking to this woman at the bar. I really didn't want to interrupt him. I kind of leaned over so he could see me in his, like, purview. And then he just, he literally just cut off the conversation he was having with this fine fine ass black woman this sister was fine and he was like er, yo and just like gave me this big hug and then you know said something to her about me and whatever and then he gave me his number i think that's when he gave me his number and i called him once when i ended up still on that tour i ended up in phoenix doing a show in phoenix and i called him because after the show a young lady said, you know, do you want to go out and have coffee sometime? Because I would really love to talk to you and like pick your brain. And I said no. And um, I called him the next day, right? Because I needed advice. I had never been semi-famous before. Um, that is to say, I've never had perfect strangers walk up to me and say things like, you're amazing. Oh my God, can can we just like email each other? Oh, can I find you on social media? I just have to keep you in my life. I just can't wait to see what you do next. Da, 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 da. And like, I could never do what you do and I don't know how you do it. And you know, have you any books out? Do you, I just need to know everything about you. Like people were saying stuff like this to me. And child, mind you, I'm still not completely clean. I'm still sucking on glass pipes and you know, blowing most of my money on dope, all kinds of dope, and still drinking myself to death. And all these compliments. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with all these? Like, why are they coming? And I had to call him and say, women keep coming up to me asking me to go out to talk. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, but their first impression of me is what they've seen on stage. And that's not who I really am. And I feel like I'm at this advantage in the conversation because she's already in awe. So as long as I talk very little, something may occur, you know? And he was like, yeah. And I said, so, you know, I told her I wouldn't go. He's like, don't ever do that again. Go. And I said, why? He said, just like you didn't know I'd be in that audience at the New Yorican. And you didn't think you'd be on a California tour? You don't know who this woman is or what's in store for you. You can't turn down opportunities. You got to say yes. 
whether it's going to end up being a friendship, a love interest, a romance, a, a tryst, um, you know, a business proposition. You just never know. You can't say no to the meet and greet. I said, okay, but I, I think I should at least tell her my thoughts on this. And he goes, well, that's up to you. And let me know what she says. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you think that she is infatuated now, you go on and tell her that honest, intimate shit and get real vulnerable and you ain't going to never get rid of her. And I started laughing. I was like, no, no, no. He's like, I'm telling you, she's already in awe of you. If you get vulnerable and speak that kind of honesty, it, he's like, fans of fans. They, they've already made the decision on liking you. And you'd have to do something really fucked up to ruin that, which eventually I did. Um, not just that, but everything. But I digress. That's also an older podcast. So I went out. I called this girl back, um, woman. I called this woman back and um, working on that misogyny. So I called this woman back and I said, if it's okay with you, I would like to go have that coffee. She said, oh, great. Um, and I did tell her on the phone, look, I'm kind of apprehensive because your first impression of me is me performing and that's not who I really am. Um, and she went, you know what? That just makes me like you even more. And I was like, fuck. Fuck. He was right. And I called Malcolm back and he goes, what'd she say? And I said, she said exactly what you said she'd say. And he started laughing and I started laughing. And he's like, man, welcome to the new world. <laughs> and um, he picked up the phone twice when I called him. This is a famous person. This is a person in LA, in Hollywood, with money, who is, I mean, look, in all stretches of the imagination, Malcolm Jamal Warner is fine, honey. Um, he was in a band at the time. He was doing his own poetry. He was playing bass. And I mean, fuck, man, this is, this is the, this is Theo, this is Theo Huxtable. You know what I'm saying? Um, and he kept picking up the phone. So I digress. So I'm on this whole tour and then I get a call from a radio station in Fresno, California, where this whole thing, you know, kicked off. Saul Williams and Suhair Hamad are performing at an outdoor venue in Fresno, and they wanted me to open the show. I'm sure the radio station had more to do with it than anything else, because neither Saul Williams nor Suhair Hamad had ever heard my work, so I doubt it was their idea. But the radio station somehow got the opportunity um, made the opportunity happen to where I could do like three poems, two or three poems before uh, Suhair Hamad went up and then Saul Williams is going to close out the show. Um, so I, I agreed to this and I, I get to Fresno and I'm outside with a friend of mine and uh, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm dumbfounded. I'm, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so nervous. It is like six hours before the show and I'm at the venue six hours before the show because I can't breathe. I'm like, holy shit. And I'm watching them set up the chairs and there's gotta be almost a thousand chairs for a poetry reading. Let me, let me get that one more again. A poetry reading with 1,000 seats available. 
the first, I think it was five rows were $50 tickets, somewhere around between like the average ticket was like 15 to 20 bucks. And it was like $50 for the first five rows. And motherfuckers, it was sold out. The place was sold out before I even got there. It was sold out. Holy shit. Um, so to end this on a good note, I want to say that um, I was there. It was hours before. And all I hear behind me is, hey. And I turned around. And at the time, people were calling me Survivor. Um, and that was that's what I was known as. And um, I hear, hey, Survivor. And I turn around. It's Saul Williams. And I said, Saul Williams? And he's like, yeah. And I said, you don't really remember me, do you? And he said, yeah, the human bookstore. You were telling me you were a new poet. You asked me if if you, I was afraid that my poetry was going too deep. And we had that conversation before I left to go to NYU. And tears filled up in my face. Because I still suffer from my own internal classism. I couldn't believe that people who were successful and well-known bothered to remember who I considered at the time an insect amongst these gods. Like, you remembered me? Why? Why would you remember me? I'm fucking nobody. And that is my internal classism. That is what the American educational system did to my brain. I devalued myself voluntarily to stay in line. And it took well-known people like Saul Williams, like Suher Hamad, like Malcolm Jamal Warner of all, to tell me that I have a right to exist. I have a divine right to love the space I take up in any room. Now, I got to tell you, to this day, I still text Malcolm Jamal Warner. I still text him. Every time I watch an episode of The Resident, I'm like, really, dog? Really? Really? Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, we, I, I, and we joke about it and we've had some really great conversations about painful stuff. I will tell you, I have never had a conversation with him about Bill Cosby. And I won't. I feel like there are just some lines you don't cross. And even though I will say we're friends, right? I, I can honestly tell you that if I was on my deathbed, I truly believe Malcolm would come visit. Um. He's a gentle soul. And I, I, when I was in Hollywood, when I was in LA, a lot of people have that superficial thing. And there's this ongoing joke of how do you tell somebody to fuck off in LA? Call me. <laughs> you know? Um, but Malcolm said, call me. And I did. And he picked up. So I, I just love the man. I just think he's amazing. I, I love Malcolm Jamal Warner. I love Malcolm. He's a great great dude. And I told him I was going to do this podcast. And I told him I was going to tell people exactly what I'm going to say now. Find him on Facebook. Find him on Instagram. And tell him you can't wait 
to see how beautiful of a man he is as described by Black Fluid Poet or John S. Blake. John S. Blake said, you're amazing. And I'm just here to observe, you know. Um, He's just an amazing man. And I'm telling you, from my heart to yours, find a way to give him just a slither of space in your life. Just a sliver of space. Just just a, a knife's edge space. A knife's edge amount of room in your life. Just to see one of his videos or a picture once in a while on Instagram or whatever it is. He's just good. And in this day and age, with all the wrong happening around us, it's just so important to have right people. Even if you never get to have a conversation with them, it's just important to have good people in your life. And I have to tell you, Malcolm Jamal Warner, despite all the successes, despite his good looks, despite his talents in music and poetry, it never got to his head. It never got to his head. And it's so ironic because he plays this arrogant fucking narcissistic surgeon, right, in The Resident. And watch The Resident. Oh my God, watch The Resident. If you've never watched it, it's on Hulu. You can start from the very beginning. Malcolm comes in somewhere around, I think, season two? Or maybe halfway through season one? I don't remember. But it's nothing. It's the exact opposite of everything he is. Like, Like, he's just so good. And, and the surgeon is good, right? But he's a fucking prick at first. Like, he's just so condescending. And he's a surgeon, you know what I mean? He's got the God complex. Um, but, like, and, and I can't see the real Malcolm, which shows how, how superbly he's acting. You know what I mean? I can't see it. Um, except in those moments where he actually shows concern and love. And I'm like, yeah, see, now that's the dude I know. That's him right there. Um, so, yeah. Reach out to Malcolm Jamal Warner on any, 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 any app and just tell him I sent you and tell him he's good. You know, a lot of uh, actors lost an unfathomable amount of of their um, success, their, their monetary success, you know, when shit went down with Bill Cosby, you know, the values of, of, you know, um, the the desire to watch, uh, you know, old episodes kind of dropped with a lot of people and, and understandably so, you know, but there was those residual effects, those indirect attacks like on, on Malcolm that just not fair, you know what I mean? He worked hard, um, but I digress. Just tell him I said hi, tell him, you know, tell him he's good. Just tell him he's good. If, if you just went to his page and said, I was told to tell you, you're so good. That shit would just make my fucking day. If he called me and was like, yo, why are all these people telling me I'm so good? They told me you told them to say that shit. What's going on? Um, and I know he's going to listen to this because I'm going to share it with him as soon as I'm done. But I just want to say it's really important to remember You've seen Putin on TV. We just got done with four fucking years of Trump. You know, you got Kim Kardashian out here talking out her ass. Um, there's just, you know, 
Palestine is still being fucking destroyed and and it, there's, there's all this horrible horrible stuff that just it's just wrong and with all of these things happening you need to know there's still good people who take time out of their very successful you know pleasurable lives to help others get there he didn't have to reach back and help somebody else find some sense of success. He didn't have to. He could have just stayed at that table at the New Yorican, clapped like everybody else is clapping, and continued to just sit in there and chill and then leave. But he went out of his way to offer me a human experience that I needed so desperately. And I think... We all need that from time to time. I think we all need to remember that through it all, despite everything, we're human. Fuck the money. Fuck the materials, the struggle, the, the, the race, the culture, the fucking, the politics of it all. You and I are human and once in a while we just need to share our human experience and let our spirits speak for themselves and let the body just be you know the cover of the book that holds the spirit and the spirit is where you read everything and sometimes our spirit reads aloud for other people Malcolm's a good spirit and because of that, I met so many other remarkable spirits along the way. And Malcolm, I love you, brother. Y'all have a good day and remember to love yourselves. And if you fall short, you can start this day over at any time. Peace. Hey, y'all. You ever heard of an amazing young woman by the name of Zinzi Smith? Well, I have, and her and I had just an amazing conversation on Beyonce's internet. I will have you know that 20-year-old Zinze Smith has her own black woman-owned business for an entire year now teaching spin classes. And let me tell you, she's enthusiastic. She wants the world to know that she's ready to help you shed them pounds from Thanksgiving and Christmas and help you keep up with that New Year's resolution that all of us middle-aged people like to make while we're still making them. So I, for one, am going to try and take one of her classes, just $15 for an online class with Zinzi Smith. She also teaches in person in studios in Brooklyn and in Queens and NYC. And all around, I got to tell you, I am just in awe of her. So you can reach out to her on Spin With Zin. That's Spin With Z-I-N on TikTok and on Instagram. And let her know that you heard it here on Black Fluid Poets Podcast. And you're trying to shed them pounds and keep up that New Year's resolution. You feel me? So give her a shout out. Let me know how it went.